Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book The Outsiders, 8 Unconventional CEOs and Their Radically Rational Blueprint for Success. Who is the greatest CEO of the last 50 years? Your most likely answer would certainly resonate with many others, Jack Welch. From 1981 to 2001, he generated a compound annual return of 20.9% for General Electric. For every $1 invested in GE stock when Welch became the CEO, you would have $48 when he stepped down. During his tenure, he was a regular on the cover of Fortune magazine. He represents a recognized management style that emphasizes active monitoring of operations and maintaining regular communication with Wall Street while keeping a close eye on stock prices. In public perception, Welch is the standard used to measure all C.E.O.'s performances, so to speak. However, the author of this book disagrees. He points out that the greatness of a CEO is not measured by the absolute returns generated by the companies they lead but should instead be gauged by comparing the compound annual returns of peers and the overall market over the same period. If a CEO can deliver better returns than their peers and the overall market, they deserve to be assigned the word great. This book profiles eight great but little-known CEOs, describing them as outsiders. However, despite their lower profiles, they were able to beat their peers and Jack Welch hands down. On average, these outsiders outperformed the S&P 500 index by more than 20 times and their peers by more than 7 times. These great CEOs all have one common characteristic, they see capital allocation as a core task. This book is not only intended for managers and entrepreneurs, but also for ordinary people. Using the criteria of outsiders mentioned in the book to validate investment opportunities is like holding a bright light in the chaotic business world, allowing you to embrace its uncertainty with open arms. The author of this book William Thorndike is the founder of Housatonic Partners, an established private equity firm. He is also a trustee of the Stanford Business School Trust and president of College of the Atlantic Trust. He is also the chairman of U.S. coal giant Consol Energy and a board member of several well-known firms. In addition to these positions, he also serves as a guest lecturer at Harvard Business School and Stanford Business School. He has experience in both management and investment, having been praised by monumental figures such as Warren Buffett, Dell Incorporated's chairman and CEO Michael Dell, and Bill Ackman, a rising star in the investment field. In this bookie, we'll look at the core ideas of this book from two perspectives. Let's see what the most critical job of a great CEO is, and identify the criteria that can be used, to determine, the greatest CEO of our time. Part 1, Enterprise Management from the Perspective of Capital Allocation. Part 2, Wise Capital Allocation Methods. The most important attribute of a great CEO, is that they are masters of capital allocation. They allocate the company's resources in a way that maximizes returns to shareholders. Buffet once emphasized that after 10 years on the job, 
a CEO whose company annually retains earnings equal to 10% of net worth will have been responsible for the deployment of more than 60% of all the capital at work in the business. Every day, great CEOs ponder how to efficiently allocate the enterprise's resources, manage the enterprise from the perspective of capital allocation, and then invest the generated cash flow into projects that can create higher returns. So, more specifically, how do great CEOs manage their enterprises from the perspective of capital allocation? Let's take a look at the first CEO. This individual oversaw a company on the verge of bankruptcy and managed it from the perspective of capital allocation to create excess returns while also saving it from going bust. His name is Bill Anders. His approach involved divesting inefficient businesses and investing capital into more efficient ones to improve the company's overall efficiency. In just three years, he transformed his company from $600 million in debt to $5 billion in cash. His company was General Dynamics, the forerunner of America's defense industry. Anders' ability to accomplish such a task was inseparable from his legendary life experience. He had had a remarkably distinguished if unconventional career before he joined General Dynamics, graduating with an electrical engineering degree from the Naval Academy in 1955. He earned an advanced degree in nuclear engineering in 1963 and was one of only 14 men chosen from a pool of thousands to join NASA's elite astronaut corps. As the lunar module pilot on the 1968 Apollo 8 mission, Anders took the now iconic Earthrise photograph. These early accomplishments gave Anders the ability to take risks in later pursuits. After leaving public service, he joined General Electric where he became a peer of Jack Welch before moving on to General Dynamics. Before assuming the role of CEO at General Dynamics, he interviewed several of the company's senior executives. He found that all the employees had a deep-rooted engineering mindset and scant focus on shareholder value. He was determined to change the mindset and way these people think to compel them to focus on shareholder and stock return metrics and optimize returns on assets, starting with streamlining operations. Since the 19th century, General Dynamics has been selling large weapons to the Pentagon, including the B-29, the legendary B-29 bomber during World War II, the F-16 fighter plane, the workhorse of the modern air force, ships, and land vehicles. Over the years, the company had diversified into missiles, space systems and a number of non-defense businesses. However, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, the U.S. defense industry fell on hard times, and General Dynamics was also affected. In 1990, the giant which once had $10 billion in revenue incurred a debt of $600 million. It teetered on the edge of bankruptcy and was the worst performer in the ailing defense industry at the time. During his three years at the helm of General Dynamics, Anders employed two methods to turn the company around and put it on the path to accumulating $5 billion in cash. First, wringing excess cash from the operations. Second, divest non-core businesses. In the first two years of their regime, Anders and his colleague reduced overall headcount by nearly 60%, relocated corporate headquarters from St. Louis to Northern Virginia, instituted a formal capital approval process, 
and dramatically reduced investment in working capital. He also cleaned up excessive investment in inventories, fixed assets, and research and development. He broke the industry's habitually myopic focus on profit growth and new product development, instead using cash return on capital as the key metric. These initiatives generated $2.5 billion in cash revenues. The company's return on assets made it a leader among peers, and it remains so today. Jim Mella, Anders's team member and CEO of General Dynamics, said that for the first couple of years we didn't need to spend anything, we could simply run off the prior year's buildup of inventories and capital expenditures. In addition to dealing with inventories and capital expenditure, Anders aggressively sold businesses that failed to meet the company's strategic standards. During that period, Anders' strategy had three key standards. First, General Dynamics should only be in businesses where it had the number one or number two market position. Second, the company would exit commodity businesses where returns were unacceptably low. Third, it would stick to businesses it knew well. During the first two of applying these standards, Anders sold the majority of General Dynamics businesses, including its IT division, the Cessna aircraft business, and the missiles and electronics businesses and left General Dynamics with two businesses in which it held to dominant market positions, tanks and submarines. After Anders left, his handpicked successors Jim Meller and Nick Shabraja produced a compound annual return of 23.3% over 17 years. During that time, the compound annual return for the S&P 500 was just 8.9%, and the average return for their peers was 17.6%. Anders laid the groundwork for his successors by making big changes and divesting inefficient businesses that did not meet the standards. He deployed available assets into efficient businesses, namely tanks and submarines that would give him an edge over competitors in the industry and raise capital efficiency considerably. Let's now move on to the second CEO mentioned in the book. If Anders perfected the art of streamlining to save a company from bankruptcy, this CEO infused a decentralized operating philosophy into every acquired company and unleashed its energy. This person was Buffett's management mentor. In January 1986, he raised nearly $3.5 billion from Buffett to buy the American broadcasting company ABC Network, and its related assets, which had a market value larger than his own. The deal was dubbed Minnow Swallows Whale in a front-page story in the Wall Street Journal. His name is Tom Murphy. Under Murphy and his adjutant Dan Burke's leadership, Capital Cities Communications refused to diversify and instead focused on its core business. Like Anders, Murphy's goal was to make his company more valuable. He said, the goal is not to have the longest train, but to arrive at the station first using the least fuel. Murphy's business philosophy focused on going lean and decentralized. He applied this philosophy to every acquired company, including ABC. He believed that his business philosophy would boost ABC's profitability from less than 30% to over 50%, which was the industry-leading level maintained by Capital Cities Communications. In less than two years, he achieved that goal and the profit margin gap disappeared. 
Murphy cut perks such as the executive elevator and the private dining room after acquiring ABC as part of his Going Lean campaign. He eliminated redundant positions and laid off 1,500 employees in the first months after the transaction closed. He also consolidated offices and sold off unnecessary real estate. Decentralization was key to Murphy's approach to human resources allocation. Simply put, he worked to hire the best people you can and leave them alone. The decentralization of capital cities' communications was embodied in the streamlining of headquarters staff. There were no vice presidents in functional departments such as marketing, strategic planning, and human resources. There was also no legal counsel or public relations department. In contrast, the heads of specific business units such as publishers and TV station managers had the real power. Extreme decentralization reduced both costs and complaints, gave operational managers sufficient autonomy, and unleashed corporate dynamism. The company decentralized its operations and delegated power to managers almost, to the extent of anarchy. Still, it kept its focus on capital spending and expenses through extensive annual budget meetings. Murphy and Burke believed that they might not be able to control a TV station's revenues, but they can control its costs. They embedded forever cost-conscious in the company's culture. Outside of these annual meetings, managers were given free reign and would sometimes go months without even a call from the head office. At the age of 70, Murphy sold Capital Cities Communications to Disney for a whopping $19 billion, 13.5 times its cash flow and 28 times its net income. During his 29 years at the helm, the internal rate of return reached a staggering 19.9%. Murphy outperformed the S&P 500 by 17.7 times and about four times his peers over the same period. Buffet once said, most of what I learned about management, I learned from Murphy. I kick myself, because I should have applied it much earlier. With Murphy's decentralized philosophy in mind, let's take a look at the next CEO who took the philosophy of decentralization to another level. Bill Stitz who served in the US Navy for four years helped pay his way through college by playing poker. Bill worked at Ralston Purina, a Fortune 100 company specializing in agricultural feed products for 17 years before taking over as CEO at 47. He was always very skilled with numbers, and the 17 years of experience taught him how to use quantitative approaches in marketing. In 1971, Stitz was the manager of Ralston Purina's least noticed grocery division. By continuously introducing new products and expanding business lines, the division's operating profit grew 50 times. Bill then took charge of marketing for Purina Puppy and Cat Chow, creating two of the most successful brand promotion cases in the history of the pet food industry. After being named CEO, one of Stitz's first tasks was to streamline and decentralize the company's operations. Realizing that many of its well-known brands were the most competitive, Stitz began restructuring the company around its core assets. He divested businesses that did not meet his criteria for profitability and returns. In his early years at the helm, Stitz sold the jack-in-the-box chain of fast-food restaurants, the Mushroom Farms, and the St. Louis Blues hockey franchise.
Stitz proceeded to sell other non-core businesses, leaving Ralston as a pure branded products company. Along with divesting the non-core businesses, Stitz made two significant acquisitions, Continental Baking, and the Energizer Battery Division from Union Carbide. Both companies had strong product brands, but both were flailing due to poor management. After acquiring the two companies, Stitz decentralized management, improved products, expanded distribution channels, cut redundant costs, and substantially increased the acquired company's cash flow through a series of measures. These actions created tremendous value for shareholders. In addition to selectively balancing divestitures and acquisitions, Stitz later used the spin-off structuring device to refine Ralston Purina's brand portfolio. In doing this, he created the ultimate decentralization. Stitz came to believe very early on that even with a relatively decentralized corporate structure, some of the company's businesses were not receiving the attention they deserved either internally or from Wall Street. Nor was a sell-off of assets conducive to minimizing the company's taxes. For these reasons, Stitz started using spin-offs. Before moving on, let's first define what a spin-off is. In a spin-off, a business unit is transferred from the parent company into a new corporate entity. Importantly, spin-offs highlight the value of smaller business units, allow for better alignment of management incentives, and critically defer capital gains taxes. Over the course of six years, Bill turned Ralston Purina into a pure pet food company in three steps, making it one of a kind in the US market at the time. The first step was to spin off small neglected brands, such as Czech Cereals and the ski resorts into a new venture Ralcorp. The second step involved dumping its agribusiness including its fast-growing protein technology business to DuPont in exchange for shares. The third step was to create the spin-off of Energizer Holdings, whose market value was equivalent to 15% of Ralston Purina's total market capitalization. As independent listed companies, these spin-offs have pulled off stellar performances. In 2001, Nestle paid a record $10.4 billion or 14 times cash flow for Ralston Purina, a pure play pet food brand that became a market leader. During Stitz's 19 years in charge, the company's compound return was 20%, compared with 14.7% for the S&P 500 and 17.7% for its peers. We have now finished the first part, enterprise management from the perspective of capital allocation. To sum up, Anders turned a company on the brink of bankruptcy into one with a $5 billion cash flow in just three years by streamlining operations. Murphy implemented a lean decentralized philosophy in every acquired business, delivering a return four times the industry standard in 29 years. Stitz achieved exceptional performance by balancing divestitures and acquisitions and optimizing Ralston Purina's brand portfolio by using spin-offs. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now.